Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. LeBron is ridiculous. I mean, absolutely, positively ridiculous. I just... I. Doesn't it make any of you feel like you've... And I, I, I get it. You can't compare yourself... Uh, you can't compare yourself to what he's done because he's not a human being at this point. But, oh my goodness. Holy smokes. 46 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 steals, a block, 9 three-pointers, a career high for LeBron. Shot 55% for the ball game on top of all that other stuff. 5 for 5 at the free throw line. He's a freight train, and he had absolutely zero help in yesterday's ballgame. He really tried to do it himself. It wasn't enough. Russell Westbrook was particularly terrible in uh, in yesterday's ballgame. And, you know, after, remember, LeBron got off to kind of a slow start this year. Now he's number 17 per game overall. Over the last month, he's number 7, scoring almost 35 points per game. While shooting over 80%, by the way, at the free throw line during that stretch. And that's with defensive stats for LeBron down a tiny bit. But the big news of the day, we got to come on air beyond LeBron, who now, after scoring 46, this is crazy, against the Clippers last night, has scored 40 points against every single NBA team. He is less than 200 points away from breaking the all-time scoring record. So that's dropping... Uh, it probably in early February, which is crazy, and he's just going to blow past it. LeBron's unreal. This is, uh, and also, by the way, I feel really good about a couple of things, because remember, LeBron was one of the other guys that I was like, look, I think this is going to be the year that we end up with more LeBrons on our fantasy teams, because to me, it felt like there was no way the Lakers were going to waste another season, even though they're at risk of doing so. And so I didn't think there were going to be a lot of rest days, a lot of shutdown stuff, injury. He was going to be trying to play through it, and he largely has. He missed some time early in the season. Lately, it's been much better. That number 17 rank for LeBron, by the way, is by totals on the year. He's played in 38 of their ballgames. He's both 17 per game and totals. 38 is basically what the average NBA player's been in so far this year. Uh so again, after that kind of slow start, I mean, you could even go two months. Last two months of LeBron, he's number eight on a per-game basis. A lot of stuff that we thought was going to happen at the very beginning of the year has now happened. It just took a little bit longer to get there. LeBron got going. Dame got going. Kyrie got going. Jimmy Butler banged up all the time, but he's up there. Now the big question mark coming into today, Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is expected to make his return for the Lakers tonight. Brandon Ingram is expected to make his return for the Pelicans tonight. We did get a report yesterday in the evening that AD is expected to be limited about 20 to 24 minutes in his return, which, by the way, that's more than I would have expected for a guy coming back off a what I would classify as a pretty large injury. So to that end, uh, I think it'll depend a little bit on how he looks and how the game is going. 
24 minutes for Anthony Davis is more than enough for him to post decent fantasy value. Obviously, he's not going to be the number one player per game when he was playing, you know, low to mid-30s in minutes. 33 and a half, I think, is the total for him on the season. Earlier this year, that's a different monster. 22, 23, 24, whatever it turns out to be today. But he's still, you know, he's still a top 50 guy in that type of number. So if you have Anthony Davis, and he does actually suit up tonight, which again, it sounds like he's going to try, I think I would start him in Roto Games Cap, and I know I would start him on the head-to-head side, because you just you want to get him in there. I know the Lakers are off Thursday and Friday before they start their uh, grueling road trip. This is a really tough stretch, so let's hope AD can stay healthy for it, give the Lakers a shot in any of those ball games. But the Brandon Ingram one, I think, is actually a little bit different. Ingram, we don't have a set number of minutes for him yet, but he's number 54 per game on the season in his 32 minutes per ball game. So it's a pretty wide gap. And I, I hope I'm answering the question that you guys have before you even have a chance to ask it, which is why is AD different than Brandon Ingram? if both guys are coming back from a big injury and both guys are on a minute's limit? Well, it all has to do with, if we think these guys, if we think Ingram gets around 20 to 24 minutes per ball game as well, you shave off whatever amount you decide is reasonable from his total number on the year. He was at 21 points, five boards, a little under five assists in 32 minutes per ball game. If he's only playing two-thirds of that, which is kind of what we're doing on the AD side, two-thirds of that is... You know, 14 points, three and some odd rebounds, uh, about three assists, just slightly over that, you know, 0.6 steals, 0.4 blocks. That's not enough. That's top 100 or ever so slightly out of it. And then you have to factor in the rust deal for both of these guys. There's going to be rust. Anthony Davis, a lot of his value was tied in his percentages, but also a lot of it was tied in the fact that he's going to be rebounding. He's a steals and blocks maniac. He has a certain uh, buffer against rust and lower minutes that Ingram simply doesn't have. Because pretty much all of Brandon Ingram's value is tied up in his ability to go do stuff. And frankly, offensive stuff. The defensive stuff is fine. 1.6 combined defensive stats is not terrible for Ingram, but it's not the three and whatever that we're getting from Anthony Davis. Let's just take this linearly, even though we've talked about this recently. I think it was might have even been yesterday, although who knows with my brain, that if a guy's playing fewer minutes, there's not. it's not always that same thing. They might go harder in those fewer minutes. I don't know that that's necessarily the case for these guys who might want to kind of ease their way back into these this thing. So for Ingram, if you're thinking, all right, 22, 23 minutes gets him to around top 100 range, it might be a better idea to just leave him on the bench on your roto side a little bit longer. If it's in head-to-head, you obviously just drop him in there and see what happens. Uh, but Anthony Davis... Even if you take away a third of his production, he's still a very good fantasy player. Just, you know, not a first or second rounder at that point. So, so far this week, and we did get some injury news yesterday. Uh, the This has been a week where guys have largely been coming back from injury. That's 
kind of nice because last week it was a week where everybody went down. Now, the one little injury news, I mean, it's medium. It's not nothing, uh, is Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis suffered a sprained MCL. We didn't even really know that's what was going on. We got that report about an hour ago. I don't think there's a big, a key pickup for Milwaukee. If Middleton wasn't back, I might have said, you know, like a Pat Connaughton would step into a little bit more rebounding responsibility. You know, Grayson Allen, Connaughton, Joe Ingles would have all been doing a little bit more uh, stuff off the bench. But now that the Bucks can kind of rotate their guys and Giannis is back, Drew's been back for a while. Middleton will probably ramp up to 20 minutes in his second ball game. I just don't think there's enough to grab any of those other guys on the Bucks. And as Middleton continues to increase his playing time and his usage and his uh, involvement in what the Bucks are doing, then it becomes, in my opinion, very clear that there isn't another guy to pick up uh, on the Milwaukee Bucks. Welcome to the show, everybody. I didn't even get to do a hello, hello from your pal Uncle Leo. I am Dan Bespris, at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Hello to everybody watching on YouTube. Hello to everybody listening on traditional podcast channels. I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter. I always have that written on the screen over on the live YouTube side, at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. To the YouTube viewers, please like and subscribe the video. To those listening on the traditional channels, I hope you'll join us for our next YouTube show. Uh, I'm trying to do this every day of the week. I can't promise it'll be out there every day of the week. Uh, it'll be... If I don't, if I'm not able to do the live YouTube show on any given day, uh, it'll just be sort of dropped in there. At, like we used to do, where it's just a static image with the podcast, so you'd still be able to listen to it. But there is a certain advantage, as I've said before, if you're watching live, I do a lightning round question and answer session at the end of the show with folks in the YouTube chat. And I've been considering doing a little promo where I answer the first five questions in the YouTube chat at the beginning of the pod. Try to get you guys a little wired, get you in there and put those questions in early. So check that out. That link is uh, youtube.com slash sports ethos, which if you're having trouble spelling it, S-P-O-R-T-S-E-T-H-O-S, youtube.com slash sports ethos is uh, our YouTube page. Let's go ahead and dive into the rest of the box scores from yesterday. We already talked, I think, frankly, the biggest news of the day, which is guys coming back. Chicago melted down late in Indiana. They blew what at one point was a 21-point lead in the ballgame. And honestly, this is just another example of why I can't fully bring myself to embrace the Alex Caruso or Patrick Williams situation while the Bulls are fully healthy. They had actually been playing better prior to this ballgame, so I don't think they're going to be sellers at the trade deadline. On the Indiana side, you saw a little bit more Chris Duarte. That was with no Andrew Nemhart. Um... And, I mean, that's all you really need to know about that. TJ McConnell was incredible again. It sounds like Tyrese Halliburton might be trying to get back as soon as this weekend, which, of course, would blow up the TJ McConnell and any Andrew Nemhard stuff. And the recent increased usage of Benedict Matherin would also kind of nosedive a little bit. And a lot of ands here with Indiana. And... If Halliburton really is back by this weekend and the Pacers are still kind of able to hang in there here without him, 
I think it makes them less likely to be sellers at the trade deadline. And which, I mean, if you're the Lakers, to me, you missed a golden opportunity. You just waited and you waited and you waited. But who knows? Anything can happen. Uh, think about putting Heald and Turner around what LeBron is doing right now. Uh, I don't know, man. Lakers do something. But anyway, if uh, indeed, if Halliburton is back, keep an eye on that. And if indeed they are playing to get into that play-in tournament... The Isaiah Jackson stash becomes way less interesting because then it seems more and more likely that Miles Turner hangs around with Indiana. Boston and Miami was kind of a zombie basketball game. Boston was without Marcus Smart, without Malcolm Brogdon. Al Horford was getting a rest day. So, uh, not surprisingly, Derek White had to do a lot of guard stuff for this team. Peyton Pritchard also logged 43 minutes. Jalen Brown had this ball game off as well. So, that opened up wing minutes. They went smaller. Grant Williams played 36 of them. It just won't be the same in their next ballgame. I would guess that Brogdon is probably back. But if he's not, if Brogdon and Smart are each out for their next one, uh, then, you know, Derek White continues to be extremely interesting. Uh, I, I have trouble doing the Grant Williams dance. You just, you need... First of all, you need him to take more than six shots. He's all about efficiency, which is typically pretty good. I mean, he made three threes, and he shot 50% for the ball game. but it's just you're, you're praying for that, like, low-end efficiency line, and that's just not that much fun. But again, if all of those guys out, you can go the Pritchard route. He'll be better. I mean, he shot, what, under 30% in this ballgame? If that's even a little bit better, he's at, you know, 15, 7, and 4 uh, so let's just keep an eye on the Boston injury report before their next ball game. But I wouldn't do a whole lot early other than saying, okay, Derek White, you've got the easiest path uh, of all of these guys. On the Miami side, Jimmy Butler hurt himself during warmups, which, I mean, come on, Jimmy. And then the whole team was just god-awful except Bam Adebayo, and they won somehow, shooting 36% for the ball game. It helped that they committed only seven turnovers to the Celtics' 17. It helped that they out-rebounded the Celtics 51-44. to So Miami had 94 field goal attempts, and Boston only had 74. And that's the answer of how they actually won the ballgame. Uh, and then when Jimmy Butler went out, it was a question of which guy was going to pick up the pieces. And it, amazingly, it was not Tyler Hero. It was not Kyle Lowry. It was not Victor Oladipo. It was Max Struess and Haywood Highsmith. Go figure. I would assume that if Butler misses another ball game, this is probably not the thing you expect to happen again. I'd lean back towards Kyle Lowry, who did have eight assists, running more point guard with Jimmy out. He just couldn't shoot. He runs hot and cold. Oladipo, very cold for this ball game. He'll run a little bit hot and cold as well. Those are the guys you're playing, and you're not veering off of them from warm stretches or cold stretches. You just kind of have to assume that everything will balance out in time. The unfortunate injury news of the day beyond Bobby Portis was that Donovan Mitchell seemed to re-aggravate his groin late against the Knicks. He was upset with himself for being extremely inefficient, although he did have a pretty damn good ball game outside of the field goal percent. So I'm going to assume that Donovan Mitchell is going to miss uh, probably another week, maybe longer. This might be more like the Bradley Beal thing where they have to just be a little bit more careful, maybe push it more towards two weeks. What do you do with Karis LeVert? 
you know, points leagues and leagues where you're punting percentages and turnovers. Yeah, I mean, he could make some sense. We saw he was kind of decent the last few games while Donovan Mitchell was out. He goes back to doing very little when that team's fully healthy. I don't start Levert in a Roto Games Cap format. I... I guess you could pick him up in head-to-head. It's not the worst idea in the world. You just kind of hope you get one of those lightning-in-a-bottle type of ball games. And then over on the Knicks side, they were forced to go a little bit bigger than they wanted to because the Cavs are a little bit bigger than most teams. Evan Mobley and a Jared Allen front court is gigantic. You just can't go small against them or you're going to get annihilated. So Jericho Sims and Isaiah Hartenstein pretty much, I mean, actually to the, to the 48 minutes second, split the center minutes. Against most teams, that won't be the case. They were in a perfect timeshare here, uh, 25 and 23 minutes, so almost split right down the middle. Hardenstein in 23 minutes is worth a look. I don't think that that's something that happens in the next ballgame. I think as the Knicks play against almost anybody that doesn't have the world's biggest front line, they'll go smaller, and you'll see Emmanuel quickly pick up three, probably-ish, four extra minutes where they run Obi Toppin at the four and Julius Randle at the five, but they didn't play Randle at the five in this ballgame. He and Obi Toppin split the power forward minutes right down the middle and then quickly was kind of picking up all the backcourt stuff without anybody squeezing up the size board in a way that I think will happen in the future. So I'm actually holding on to Emmanuel quickly during this Mitchell Robinson absence. Um, I need to kind of see him look better. Yeah, it was relatively efficient in this ballgame. He was one of their better players, but I just I need to see him get a little bit more engaged on the, uh, frankly, the chucking side. Sorry. I, I mean, oh, that's bad for reality, but fantasy-wise, you kind of want it. And then I might drop him into a lineup. But I actually think on the head-to-head side, quickly makes a lot of sense right now. Nikola Jokic came back from his hamstring tweak, and, uh, you know, he did Jokic stuff. But he was actually a minus six, believe it or not, in this ballgame kind of sleepwalking a little bit the nuggets they do that sometimes sometimes offense comes so easily that they don't really pay close attention no michael porter jr so that meant bruce brown uh is a stream pretty much anytime any starter is out for denver you can roll with bruce brown aaron gordon was not particularly great in this ball game he had some foul stuff early and then blah 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 so they went to some other lineups and they squeaked it out over on the new orleans side whatever we were doing here you can kind of throw out the window Here's how I feel about the Pelicans now with Brandon Ingram back. So sort of pause your brain and just reset. Ingram back. Today is different than other days. Because, again, he's going to be on that minutes cap. And we don't know exactly how long it's going to take him to ramp up. But it's probably going to be a few ball games. Today, I am now afraid to play Herb Jones. Because Herb only played 24 minutes in this ballgame, and that was with Ingram out. Today, I think I'm still willing to play Trey Murphy. I don't know that his shots change all that much. He probably just slides up to power forward, or Ingram slides up to power forward. And Jackson Hayes goes back to the bench. Herb Jones probably does still continue to start. But again, it's about playing good enough to get starters minutes. And that's not even the case while the team is banged up right now. 
So Murphy, I think, still maybe hangs on as long as Zion is out. Now, when he comes back, I think almost all of these guys are droppable other than kind of the superstar names. McCollum, Ingram, Zion. Uh, you know, that might be it. You're also going to see Jonas Valanciunas trend down as the Pelicans get scorers back because then they'll need his offense less and they'll need Larry Nance's junior, Larry Nance Jr.'s defense more. Does that mean I'm adding Larry Nance right now? No, I think I want to see how things look as Ingram ramps up for the front court in particular. If you're on the Roto side, I'm perfectly comfortable benching everybody other than C.J. McCollum. Not kidding. Every single player on the team, I'm perfectly comfortable benching besides C.J. McCollum. That's what makes games cap kind of an interesting strategic wrinkle here. Do I spend a games cap on anyone in this ballgame or next New Orleans ballgame? And again, I think the answer is just CJ. I don't think I'm playing JV while we see how this thing gets ramped up. I don't think I'm playing Nance. I'm not playing Herb. I'm not playing Alvarado. Trey Murphy's probably like the closest one, and I'm probably going to squat on him too. Washington gets a win on the road. I, I mean, I said it, man. The Mavericks are not, without Christian Wood in particular, they're, there's just not enough there. Dinwiddie did more, as expected, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. didn't, which was kind of surprising. Luca did as much as he possibly. I mean, the Luca and LeBron stuff. There's a there's a lot of similarities right now between those two teams. Um, I would argue that the Mavericks supporting cast is by and large better because at least they have Dinwiddie, who's a playmaker. They have Hardaway, who's a floor spacer. Lakers have Russ, <laughs> who's been quite bad. Uh, for long stretches. He had some few games in there where he kind of powered them, but boy, good Russ and bad Russ are so different. Anyway, this isn't about the Lakers. We'll get to them in a minute. Dwight Powell finally had a better fill-in game at center. I don't trust him to do that nightly, so no, I'm not adding him here unless we see some consistency in that regard. I think they're going to be reevaluating Wood pretty soon here, and then we just kind of have to hope that there's a good report coming down the pike on that one. As far as Washington goes, uh, I really like Daniel Gafford. I still do. He fouled out of this game in 19 minutes. Luca with 12 free throws. I think you get the idea there. Um, the officials also called this game really tight. Washington had 41 foul shots. Dallas had 26. That game probably took three hours. Gafford had eight of them. But 9.7 boards, a block. You give that guy... He's, he's on his way to high 20s in minutes while Christoph Porzingis is out, at the very least. So I still really like Daniel Gafford a lot. I saw some good things out of Denny Avdia in this game, too. We knew he was going to have a bigger role. I still think a lot of his value is tied up in his ability to run offense, and he didn't really get to do that here. His value in this ballgame was in rebounds and steals, and fortunately, he got enough of them. So I think some of this was a little bit overinflated on the Avdia side. I'm not going to say I'm down on him, He's just not my favorite of the Wizards' fill-in guys. I like Gafford over Avdia filling in on the front court side. And then I still like DeLon Wright. I don't know how he's doing it because his minutes aren't that high, but he had 10 points, 6 assists, 3 steals, and a couple of 3 balls in only 22 minutes again. I wish I could comfortably say those minutes are going to ramp up. I don't necessarily know that that's the case. But look, like... He's playing well enough to be started right now. And then if anything at all happens to Corey Kispert or Monte Morris or Bradley Beal, heaven forbid he gets hurt again, 
then you know DeLon Wright moves into additional minutes. So right now, it's good floor with kind of infinite injury-related upside. And no, I'm not worried that Kendrick Nunn cuts into his playing time because Wright is simply better. Phoenix blew out Charlotte, so you can dump a lot of this box score, but not all of it. Good to see Chris Paul with another efficient ball game. He didn't get any steals here, but honestly, I don't care because he shot six for nine from the floor. That's been the thing mostly holding CP3 back this year is that his field goal percent has been super, super low, but it's up to 43 now, and his rank is up to 42. The missed games have been a pisser. But as far as per-game value goes, he's right on his ADP. He was getting drafted around 40 this year. I was able to get him in the fourth round in non-keeper spots. And if he keeps this pace, I know Devin Booker comes back, but frankly, I kind of like the way they play off each other. It's all about percentages for Chris Paul. He's only at 81% at the foul line also on the year. I know we talk about, like, the great leveling, and it's supposed to happen six to eight weeks into the season, but it's really more about it happening six to eight weeks into an individual player's season, not the season at large. Chris Paul has is, like, right around eight weeks of basketball in, in his season, but they've been split up by various old man injuries. So he's still finding his legs for this year, and hopefully now he can get a few weeks in a row and kind of start to feel the rhythm. It looked like it was beginning to happen before the last injury, well, before the whole team got hurt. Meanwhile, uh, his ability to play better, now obviously going against Charlotte is super helpful for all of these guys. So you're not like you're not adding Dario Saric, you're not adding Bismack Biombo, because uh, DeAndre Ayton is likely coming back. He was, I think he had the flu for yesterday's game. But look at Cam Johnson, man. I, I don't want to get too excited about this, but dude had 24 points in 18 minutes. As they bring him along, he really does have 75 range potential. You're talking about like a late sixth, probably, uh, type of pick. Early seventh. I mean, this is a this is a really valuable guy. Uh, and he's so critical to what the Suns want to do because they need other dudes that can space the floor. And they had 22 threes in this game. But again, don't read too much into this one. Everybody beats up on the poor Charlotte Hornets defense. Uh, no Lamella Ball again. Dennis Smith Jr. played 27 minutes in this one. Once again, really didn't have his shot going. The assists were also not there for Charlotte, partly because no one could knock down a shot. That's that's the thing. I think Dennis Smith Jr. remains a pretty reasonable stream, uh, certainly on the head-to-head side while Lamelo's out, because uh, he's going to pile up typically assists and steals, and he's been okay in the other stuff. Roto Gamescap, he hasn't been where we needed him to be. Um... And it's a little bit surprising because there was no Gordon Hayward in this game. Bryce McGowan's got the start because they didn't want to go too small in the backcourt. Uh, and maybe, and also they want to make sure that they lose. Good Lord, it's hard to watch Hornets games. But you know what? At least Rozier got some defensive stats, even if the, the shot wasn't great. He's finally come around. McDaniel's obviously way better when Gordon Hayward is out. Does Hayward play in the next one? Does Plumlee play in the next one? Mark Williams only got six minutes, and Nick Richards got 17. I... The Hornets, man. This is like the end of the aristocrats. The aristocrats! I, I always think back, I don't know if you guys saw that movie, I always think back at Gilbert Gottfried's retelling of it. Now you might be asking yourself, why all the blood? That's kind of the way I feel about the Hornets this year. The aristocrats! 
because this is what it is at the end of it all. They are in between. Just lean into it, guys. Lean into the tank. For goodness sake, just let guys chuck. Stop forcing bunches of different centers into the lineup. I know you want to guarantee you lose, and mixing and match weird pieces is the best way to do it, but you're going to lose anyway. You don't have to do anything special to lose. Ugh, the Hornets. So, you know, again, Mark Williams, this is why, to me, he still feels more like a next-year guy, where if you get lucky and Plumlee gets moved, maybe you get like a Williams-Nick Richards timeshare after the All-Star break. It's so hard to know what the crap this team is doing night to night. Oh, difficult. Hit me with questions about the Hornets. You have, if you have specific questions about the Hornets, this is a great time to use the YouTube live chat uh, and a great time for those of you listening on the recorded channels to think, man, I should go watch the YouTube live chat. Clippers made every shot on planet Earth. Here's a fun little stat. The Clippers had one of their four, five, six, seven, eight, nine players attempt a field goal in yesterday's ballgame. Nine players. Eleven players touched the floor. Nine of them took a shot. Nine out of nine shot 50% or better. The team shot 61% in the ballgame. And, yeah, I mean, the, the superstars were good. Kawhi. He was 69% from the field in the ballgame, 25-9-3, two steals and two blocks again. And PG had 27-9-4. But it was the other guys. Those, that's what killed the Lakers. Reggie Jackson, who's been in the doghouse, came off the bench and had 19 points and four three-pointers. Norman Powell hit every shot on earth. Terrence Mann hit four three-pointers. Rob Covington hit two and had four blocks in 19 minutes. Nick Batum went one for two. Zubats was three for four. Some of this was the Lakers' defense, just sort of not being up to snuff. But not all of it. Not all of it. It wasn't like the Clippers were wide open on all of these shots. You know, the Norman Powell stuff was like coming around a screen, pull-up three-pointer from straight away. I think he had three of those in the ballgame. Reggie Jackson had two three-pointers in this game that he just sort of slowly dribbled into. The defender was standing right there. He was like, ah, screw it. Everything's going in. I'll throw it up. So that was one of those nights. And, you know, it sucks because for LeBron, he, he looked frustrated. And I, I can understand why. Because uh, he didn't get any help. This is going to be a game where, seeing the way the Clippers were shooting, the Lakers needed to make all of their shots on offense to compete. And LeBron did that. And Thomas Bryant was okay. And everybody else was pretty bad. Wendell Gabriel missed all three of his foul shots. Patrick Beverly went one for eight. Russell Westbrook, in particular, was atrocious in this game. And the Lakers actually had a little comeback, and it was still a bit of a long shot. I don't know if you guys watched it live or not. They were down 113-100. LeBron hit his, what at that point was, I believe, his ninth three-pointer of the game. It was either his eighth or ninth, to draw the Lakers to within 10. 113-103. It was about as close as they'd been since, like, midway through the first quarter, I think. Uh, and then they got a turnover, I believe. And uh, out of a media timeout, Russell Westbrook was inbounding a pass, and he tried to sail it way up and over the top to Schroeder, and Paul George stole it. It led to a three-point play for Kawhi Leonard. 
Next trip down, I believe Russ missed a shot. I can't remember exactly. Clippers scored again, uh, and then Russ had it poked away from behind on the net. It was like three plays in a row where the Clippers went on a quick little 8-0 run to go back up by 18 instead of 10, and you could just feel everyone. That's when the Lakers pulled all their starters. That was with like five minutes left. They're like, ah, we're done. We're done. Sometimes you get good rust. Sometimes you get bad. Unfortunately, when you get bad rust, it is, it's rough. It's real rough. And against a team like the Clippers, he's going to struggle because a lot of Russ's game is beating slow opponents. The Clippers are all long wings. You just don't have that edge against them. One guy you could probably beat would be Zubats. But then there's they're pretty good at recovering. Sure enough, the Lakers lost the rebound battle by 15 again. I mean, that, like all of these things that need to get solved, and Anthony Davis certainly helps in some of that. Hachimura is actually going to help with a little bit of that as well. But as far as fantasy goes for this game, I didn't mean to get too far sidetracked on this, this Lakers-Clippers battle. Uh, you know, if you're looking at Terrence Mann and, and Norman Powell and Reggie Jackson and Rob Covington and you're like, ooh, just try to remember how insane the shooting was in this ball game, Because for me... The Clippers are at full strength here. Kawhi, Paul George, and usually Zubats are the only three guys I'm starting on the Roto side. Uh, all those other names you can look at on the head-to-head, schedule-wise, they make sense. If you know if you get the Clippers in like a three-game and four-night type of stretch, we call those guys schedule streamers here on the pod. So just kind of get used to that nomenclature. That's as far as it goes. As the Lakers go. I don't know if you guys were playing anybody beyond LeBron James in Roto, but, you know, we dabbled in Thomas Bryant a little bit recently, quite a lot when AD first went down, but then teams started to kind of beat him up on defense. I believe I said I was ever so slightly leaning towards a yes on Bryant last night, and he was fine. So he was basically right on the fence. His fantasy line was right on the fence, just the way we were feeling about him. You can't start him now. Even if he's still in the starting five for the Lakers, he becomes more of a floor-spacing rebounder as part of their offense. I would consider it if I'm the Lakers. You need more rebounders out there. They are getting obliterated on the glass. Some of that is because of how they have to play on defense. And this is all relevant, by the way, to, to fantasy stuff. So I would say don't necessarily drop Thomas Bryant immediately, especially when you consider the fact that AD is only going to play 20 to 24 minutes but they might also try to go a bit bigger. I don't know if Rui's going to start here in his first game for the Lakers, but there's a lot of pieces that kind of need to slot together. If a great streamer pops up, then go ahead, dump him. Uh, and I think there's probably like about a 90% chance the Lakers end up being just LeBron and AD for Roto Leagues. Who, who can I play? Who's above the cut line? Uh, but there is that like 10% chance, and big man stats are... I think more important than ever this year because rebounding has been kind of tougher in fantasy this season. Field goal percents overall are up this year, so you really need your big men to contribute hard in that category. Uh, and so that's where I would sit on the Lakers' side. Let's take a quick look at this upcoming Wednesday card. It's a, it's a bigger one, so uh, I'll try to move through it a little bit faster than usual. And again, a reminder to all of our recorded uh, listeners to come hang out with us on YouTube next time because we're getting closer to the live chat. But here's what's coming up on this Wednesday evening. 
Indy at Orlando. We I think we know what to expect with Indiana at this point. For Orlando, uh, Jonathan Isaac experience. We don't know what the minutes cap is going to be, but I would assume it's like probably around 12 after he played 10 in the first one. If he gets beyond 12, I'll be pretty happy. And I'd say there's like maybe a 20% chance they let him go to 13 or 14. Because I think a lot of it's about conditioning right now. Brooklyn, nothing really. Um, you know, they are who they are. And this is going to be a tougher one. Uh, they've got Philly. Although if Joel Embiid is out, then certainly that changes things a bit. I don't think he was at shoot-around today, and he's questionable with that foot soreness. But Philly's been off a bit, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I would, I'd call this one pretty much a coin flip on Embiid. Keep, stay tuned. The line suggests he's probably out. But let's wait and see. You never. I mean, Vegas sometimes knows. Remember, they had LeBron. They had the, that line with, I think it was Sacramento, assuming LeBron was, or was that Memphis? I don't remember which team that was. I think it was a Sacramento game. They thought LeBron was going to be out. And then Sabonis was out. That one, and LeBron was in, and the line jumped by like five points. So it's not always nailed. Um, I think it's leaning towards Embiid resting, which means if you wanted to go Montrez Harrell, that would be the name you could look at on the Philly side. Brooklyn. Uh, Royce O'Neal kind of bouncing back and forth. I'd put a lot of these guys. That whole Brooklyn fill-in roster is schedule streamers. For Philly, Montrez is above that if Embiid has to sit the ball game out. Uh, and then keep tabs on DeAnthony Melton. I'd love to see what his deal is because, you know, maybe he gets a bigger role if Embiid sits. Washington on the back-to-back in Houston. Can they pick up two wins in Texas? This one should be the easier of the two ball games, but Houston's gotten a few bigger scoring nights from Jalen Green lately. Alperen Sengun's been looking a little bit better. Uh, if Jabari Smith Jr. continues to sit, which I believe he will, Tari Eason is a really interesting short-term fantasy play. I'd expect Daniel Gafford not to pick up six fouls in 19 minutes in this one, and I'm really excited to see what he's going to do here in a larger fill-in role. Denver on the back-to-back in Milwaukee. We'll see if Jokic plays in this one. Uh, interested in Chris Middleton's minutes cap. And obviously, we can kind of react from there. Denver, you know, if multiple guys are out, you can look at Zeke Naji potentially. You know Bruce Brown is already in the mix. For Atlanta, waiting on Bogey to kind of wake up. He's in a prolonged slump on a Hawks team that really is Jekyll and Hyde these days. Oklahoma City continues to just find ways to win ball games, and a lot of that is Shea. This is going to be a tough one for Atlanta. They're favored by a point and a half on the road, but... I don't know, man. That, that is a pretty reasonable chance they lose this ball game. Minnesota at New Orleans. Um, not a whole lot there. Maybe slow mo stays out of foul trouble. We already talked about Brandon Ingram coming back on the Pelly side. Utah's in Portland. Nothing for the Blazers. Nothing really for the Jazz. Things have settled a bit. You can keep an eye on Walker Kessler's minutes, but until Kelly Olynyk comes back, I don't think I'm planning on making any adjustments to the usual fare. Toronto is all about whether or not OG Ananobi is playing. And actually, frankly, from on the Roto side, it, it kind of doesn't matter to me. Sacramento, nothing. Just to sort of continue tracking of Keegan Murray as he uh, improves week to week. Memphis. Uh, oh, kind of buried the lead on this one. Sorry, everybody. I should have talked about this more towards the top of the story. Steven Adams is out for a while, actually. This... Uh, Really surprising. He's one of the toughest dudes in the NBA, so no, you know this is a real injury for him. He's expected to miss about a month. 
Now, there are two schools of thought on the Steven Adams thing, and they probably both have merit. One of them is whether you grab Xavier Tillman. Because remember, Tillman got the start for the Grizzlies back on, I think that was Monday, right? When that a month, and they got blown out in Sacramento, no jaw, uh, and no Steven Adams for that ballgame, and the Kings just spanked him with a superior offense. In that one, Tillman got the start and played 30 minutes. Brandon Clark only got 13 minutes off the bench. But it's worth noting, first of all, Clark didn't look good in this game. A lot of his chemistry is with Ja Morant. So Ja, you kind of almost need Morant in there for Clark to work. Also, he picked up a bunch of fouls. He had three fouls in like six minutes in the first half, and it just you know, whatever opportunity he was going to have evaporated. And if he was going to play late in this ball game, that went away because the game was a blowout. Between those two guys, Zil- uh, Tillman and Clark, I lean towards Brandon Clark, if only because we know that in 23 minutes, Brandon Clark is, you know, like a top 80 kind of guy. Xavier Tillman legitimately needs full starters minutes to post fantasy value. It's all about what these guys do on a per-minute basis. Tillman can rebound well, and he gets some steals out of the center spot, typically not much of a shot blocker, and his field goal percent and free throw percent are also, well, the free throw is, like, fine if you're comparing that to Brandon Clark, but Clark typically has the better field goal percent. So give me the efficiency guy there. I get it if head-to-head players trust Tillman more. Because if he's in the starting five, that's a better opportunity to play more minutes. You have an opportunity to sort of compile more stats. And with Clark, you're kind of rolling the dice a bit more that you're going to get that super fast production from him. Get him on the floor for 20-some-odd minutes. Get the fast production. On the Roto side, that's the way I lean. I like the field goal percent. I want the rebounds, the blocks. That's a big thing for me. I just I want Clark out there between those two guys. That's the direction I lean. But I also get it. I don't think that this one is a cut-and-dry answer. That's just the the way that I go with it. Uh, What am I forgetting here? Golden State, eh, nothing really. Pool's been better lately, but there's not much I'm keeping real close tabs on. Spurs, they're bubble-wrapping some of their veterans at this point. Lakers should be able to walk their way through this ballgame. LeBron is questionable. It's tough for him on the back-to-backs. I don't know how he can sit out a game... That is kind of a must-win for L.A. The only way I would see LeBron sitting this game is if Greg Popovich called up Darvin Ham beforehand and was like, look, dude, uh, you can give Bron the day off. We're going to find a way to give you this game. Like, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i pull the plug on any of my good players if it's, if it's close in the fourth quarter. And then a wink-wink and a nod-nod later, uh, and then LeBron maybe sits. But I, I just I don't know how he sits... When you look at what's coming up for the Lakers, they're in Boston on Saturday, yikes, in Brooklyn on Monday, yikes, in uh, Manhattan on Tuesday, yikes, in Indiana on Thursday of next week, when Halliburton will probably be back by then, in New Orleans Saturday of next week. Now, I don't know who's going to be back for the Pelicans, so maybe that one's not quite as tough as it could have been. But then they've got the Thunder, the Bucks, and the Warriors. This is a stretch after the Lakers get through the Spurs. Playing a winning team, winning team, winning team. What are the Pacers at? They're like right around 500. Then winning team, Thunder, 
hanging. They're like right around a winning team. Bucks, big time winning team. Warriors have been better. This is a rough stretch. What is that? Seven, eight games. Lakers got to go. I think they've got to go three and five at the worst there. Or you're starting to stare down the barrel of it a little bit. Then roll into the All-Star break. They got the Blazers, the Pels again, the Warriors, the coming out of the All-Star break, the Mavericks, the Grizzlies, Thunder, Wolves, Warriors, Grizzlies, Raptors, Knicks, Pels, Rockets. There's a break. March 15th, the Lakers schedule gets easier down the stretch. But like the next almost two months is going to be a grind. I, so I just, I don't know how LeBron takes games off when they're winnable. The ones I would expect them to take off would be like maybe one of the Nets or Knicks on a back-to-back there, or maybe in Boston if they're fully, if the Celtics are fully healthy in a game where it's like, look, we're going to lose this one, so I might as well just rest up. The, like he did in Denver. I just, I'd be so floored if he sat this one out, unless there was like a weird handshake agreement. And that's what we got coming up. Uh, Don't worry, I'll be doing more of our kind of look-ahead stuff over on Twitter. Uh, So certainly do stay tuned for that. And um, yeah, that's wrap-up time. Want to remind everybody listening on the recorded podcast channels of a couple of things before we send you off into your day. Uh, Number one, follow me on Twitter, at Dan Vespers. Number two... Uh, come join us on YouTube in the future, sportsethos.com slash YouTube, or nope, other way around, youtube.com slash sportsethos. Like and subscribe our various videos over there because it's the right thing to do. And three, uh, mock deadline awesomeness is happening over at sportsethos.com. Make sure to follow Etho- Sports Ethos. That's it, just the name of the site on, on Twitter, at Sports Ethos, to see some of these really wild trades that are going down. Stephen Bagel of the Bird Rights Pod putting it together. It's he got thirty GMs from across the NBA media landscape to work on this. It's 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 fantastic. It's unbelievable. You guys got to check it out. All right, I'll talk to you guys on Twitter. Have a great uh, whatever the hell day it is. Wednesday. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll talk to you first thing tomorrow morning. Uh, and uh, so long for now. <laughs>